Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Yes, indeed, we're speaking to you from Holy Israel. If you're listening live, great, welcome. We're going to call out the countries in a moment. And if you're listening on podcast, I do want you indeed to know that today is the 2nd of November, 2023, and it is the 27th day of the war. Um, let's say it's early morning in Israel, so forgive me for saying good morning, but if you're listening in, good night from the United States, listening in, very, very holy, very, very fantastic. Boketov Eretz Yisrael. We have, I'm just looking here, what a lineup this morning of people who care, are passionate. Canada is with us. We're counting on you, Canada. The UK is with us this morning. Jamaica. Iran. Tanzania is with us. It's the United Republic of Tanzania. Ireland is with us this morning. The Bahamas. Nigeria listening in. Ghana. My beloved South Africa. Brazil. Mexico. Colombia. New Zealand. All of us today United, united in passion, united in God's glory, and united in the belief that with our prayers, our tefillah, our morality, our decency, our pain, and our caring, we will come out victorious. We will rid the world at least at least for the time being, of this filthy, filthy scourge. Spain has also joined us. Yes, very nice, beautiful. Lithuania. (laughs) Okay, we don't want to just spend the morning calling out the countries, but it really is so rewarding, so comforting. Thierry, somebody posted on Facebook yesterday, someone who I know, and it was sort of that black humor, that bitter laugh. She said, Perhaps we should begin a Facebook group for everyone who's awake at 3 a.m. And somebody wrote 2 a.m. Someone else said, I'm in the 415 club. Those of us listening in from Israel know it's not sleep. It's a few winks here or there, a catnap, falling asleep in the middle of the day. We all know someone. We're all the mother or father of someone. Israel. I hate cons- constantly comparing it to the size of New Jersey. But for those of you who live in America who have visited the East Coast, that's who we are. We're one family, one united, impassioned, in agony family. And we all are awake. We're awake. I come to you as not just a resident of the eternal Jewish nation, but as the Ima, the mother of a chayal, the aunt of chayalim, the aunt and mother of secular Jews of Haredi Jews, of modern Orthodox Jews, of questioning Jews. 
we're all together on this blessed morning, the 27th day of the war. And so we begin with a prayer. And remember, anything you hear on this show, anything I quote, any article I cite, if you want it, drop me a note, Andrea at Israel News Talk Radio. I will send you the link. We're going to start with a prayer right now. I've translated it from the Hebrew. And I'm happy to send it to you. And you could say it when you light your Sabbath candles. You could say it every morning in your morning tefillot, in your morning prayers. And it's a prayer for our hostages that we say together. And we say, He who blessed our ancestors, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Yosef, Moshe, Aharon, David, and Shlomo, may he bless, preserve, and protect the captives and missing soldiers of the Israel Defense Forces and all of our brothers and sisters in captivity. May he rescue them from captivity and speedily restore them in peace. In the merit of the prayers of this holy assemblage who pray for them. May the Holy One, blessed be he, show them mercy, increase their strength, remove their pain, and send them a recovery of body and spirit. May he return them to the bosom of their families swiftly and soon. And now let us respond. Amen. One family, united, united for good, united for holy. That's who we be. All week long, I'm sort of deflecting messages. This is a holy spot, a holy obligation to be connected with this radio station and to see the number of individuals throughout the world who are tuning in, tuning in for accuracy, for honesty, for a place to unburden their own doubts, their own concerns. If I tell you it is nothing short of humbling to be part of this orbit of Israel News Talk Radio, and I beg you, share it with your friends. Send the link and add a note and say, you may not agree with everything you hear. You may be challenged. You may want to shut your computer and shake your head and say, no, 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 no. But come back again and again. Because the one thing that will never happen to you on Israel News Talk Radio is you will not be lied to. I cannot promise you that. If you're getting your news from CNN, from the BBC, from ABC, NBC, let me go on and on and on and on, and certainly not Al Jazeera. You have to become smart. Smart consumers feel the fabric. Had a little bit of a machlokes, um, a little back and forth a disagreement with a listener this week. I don't have his note in front of me. I owe him a letter. And one of the things he took issue with me was saying something, and I said in last week's show, the world is a very, very, very dangerous place for Jews 
this morning, regardless of where you are listening in from, the world is a very dangerous place for Jews this morning. Having said that, if there is one corner of the world that is safer than any corner of the world this morning to be a Jew, that corner is in Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. Look around. Look around at your police forces and your security departments. If you are not living in Israel and you have a mezuzah on your front door, do you feel safe this morning? We all can say, oh, but I know God's in charge. Of course God is in charge. And we were given free will. I tell you this from the sincerest part of my belly. If you are a Jew living anywhere in this vast, beautiful, God-created world and have not minimally initiated the conversation, the conversation of the possibility, halavai, I wish from my perspective the probability, but the possibility of doing the bravest thing you might ever be called upon to do as a parent, as a child, as a sibling, as a community leader, as a role model for anyone. And that is to come home to Israel if you have not initiated that conversation or are not planning on initiating that conversation this Sabbath or in the days to come, then I don't know what else to say to you. I will make you this pledge. This microphone will continue to call out and beg you to start the conversation and ultimately come home. Any Jew who is alive today, living in any corner of the world and any of these incredible countries that I called out before is the product of not happenstance, not accident, but brilliant brave, selfless ancestry that through their sacrifice ensured that you had the ability to get on a computer this morning and check out what's going on around the world. I know my own personal experience, my ancestral experience, at least the one that I can partially access we were not a family that kept great records, and I don't know. I can never say, oh, I'm a descendant of, and then name some lofty European rabbeim. Sorry, not so much my family. But I can say that my paternal grandparents, 
left behind the lands of pogroms, not by saying, it'll get better, let's wait it out. A good czar is coming in. But said goodbye to forever without a promise of a good job on the other side, without the job of social media accessing them to other wonderful employers or attractive housing. They voted with their feet with only a guarantee of poverty on the other end of saving their lives and possibly preserving a Jewish presence in the years to come. Uncomfortable? That's okay. That's okay. No one ever died from discomfort. The discomfort of saying, I never thought about living in Israel. I'm not religious. I'm hardly Jewish. I'm gay. I'm conservative. I'm nothing. I don't even like the Jews in my neighborhood. Why would I like the Jews in Israel? That's okay. Ask the question. Endure the discomfort. When did we become so lazy as to stand for nothing, to suck our finger, hold it up, and see which way the wind is blowing? And that's where we grab our morality, grab our values. If it's too uncomfortable to say we're the people of the book and we're the chosen people, minimally get comfortable with the phrase, we're the people of the blueprint. We have a value system. Maybe I should know more. Yesterday, I posted a picture, I posted a photograph, pulled over to the side of the road, was driving with grandchildren, picking up carpools, and on the side of the road, as we were driving through the holy town of Ramat Beit Shemesh, my daughter said, oh my gosh, look, there's a rainbow. And I quickly, they stopped the car, got out, took a photograph of the rainbow, posted it on my Facebook page. And what was so interesting were the responses Everyone living in Israel who saw the picture of the rainbow, everyone who was moderately to very Torah observant understood immediately what the picture of the rainbow depicted. And before I tell you what it depicted, at least in my mind's eye, the response of all of my American friends, dear, holy, wonderful, Israel-loving, proudly Jewish, but woefully Torah-ignorant Jewish friends said, Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so joyous. It's good to grab on to the beautiful, grab on to the happy while we can during such sad times. Ah, if you listen in the background, people. You're hearing the background noise of the warplanes in the background protecting our holy nation. And I was able to answer a few of them, and I tried to answer kindly to let them know that the rainbow was not separate from what is going on here in Israel. 
but it's part and parcel of God's promise. His promise two Torah portions ago in Parshas Noah, the story of Noah, when at the end the tide ebbs and a rainbow comes forth over, over the receding waters, over the land. And in the rainbow, God says, I will never again destroy the earth by flood. It doesn't mean that God won't be angry. It doesn't mean that God isn't disappointed in us. But God believes in us enough to have made that deal. That threat has been taken off the table. And when we see a rainbow, it's designed to humble us, to remind us of how close we came and how close we come to destruction. Don't confuse rainbows with pink uniforms and Disney princesses. It's a message during very bleak times to remember who we are and who protects our nation. Let's learn more. Let's learn together. Another, another quote. Ha! Another Martin Luther King quote. How prevalent. And the Reverend Martin Luther King was quoted as saying, I agree with Dante that the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who, in a period of moral crisis, maintain their neutrality. There comes a time when silence becomes betrayal. Anyone who's listening in this morning and is not a big buddy of Israel, not a big buddy praying for our success, praying that we will vanquish our enemies in this again defensive war that has been foistered upon us. Anyone who believes the filthy narrative of Israeli aggression What can I say? What can I say? The world is flat. All that money, all your tax money. Let's make it simple. You know, what do they say? They say, uh, um, the KISS, the anacronym for KISS is keep it simple, stupid. Keep it stupid, simple. Keep it simple, stupid. I always said to my children, it means keep it simple, sweetie. All that money that your tax dollars are paying for. I don't know. I'm looking at my country list. I think all of you. I don't know. Who's not paying it? Your Hamas money has not gone for water, has not gone for electricity. It has not gone for medical equipment or bettering their hospitals. And it certainly has not gone to improve their schools and educational system. Total expenditure, and growing terrorism, morality killing. So you see, 
But, but I mean, who are we talking about? Who are we talking about? Laziness. Are we culpable in the war of laziness? And again, I asked the question before. If you're not putting up the question, I need to wait a second. I have to get off script one more moment. I challenged anybody listening in. And by the way, this challenge, I say it now. This challenge I put out goes to my cousins, my blood cousins. I don't mean my cousins, my world. I mean cousins in my family who listen to this show, who write, oh, Andrea, we're praying for you. I tell you the truth, cousins. Thank you. Much appreciated. Keep praying for Israel. Pray for me. Pray for mine. I'll give you the name of my soldier among the names of all the other soldiers. But I tell you, especially my friends in America, whom I know so much better, I'm not really familiar with the life in Colombia. I wish I were. What's going on in Spain? I had a Lithuanian client yesterday, actually. Ghana, South Africa. I know you guys. I'm praying for you. Because regardless of whatever you are telling yourselves today, this morning, you are not as safe as I am. You are not safe and I am praying for you. And if you need help, and I know that this is a tall order, and my husband's going to have something to say to me later about this for sure. You write to me, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I am not the second coming of anything. But if you do not have access in your community to some manner in which, in which you can emigrate to Israel, emigrate and immigrate, come home, not make a life in a place that doesn't belong to you, come home. Israel will make it happen. Come home to safety. Come home to perhaps poverty, perhaps a diminishing in lifestyle, but perhaps not. But I promise you, a life of meaning, a life of heroism, a life of strength, a life that means something at the end of your days, I will help you get started. I will minimally point you in the right direction. And I will rely on everyone that I know, both at this station and through my 28 years of living here, I will try to access those resources that wherever you are listening in from, and once you initiate the conversation, and once 11,000 people in your family tell you that you are crazy, dare to be crazy and dare to do the right thing and dare to join me on the front lines of Jewish history and watch God's plan unfold from, indeed, the front of the theater. So as I said, it's the easiest thing to do for lazy people. Blame Israel. Just blame Israel. We can't, I, I go in. I made a... 
you can't help it. I made a, a pledge that I'm not going to listen to any of the naysayers, any of the, I'm not going to look at any pictures or watch any videos of the anti-Israel protests, the anti-Zionist. I mean, it's happening. This is, it is 1937, 1938, all over again. And if you believe otherwise, you're delusional, positively delusional. Blame us. Blame us for occupation, a non-existent occupation. Occupation, we gave it to them. We gave them everything. We gave them no less than eight or nine options to basically destroy us, destroy, rip apart our borders, and those morons, those self-serving, self-loathing imbeciles, who call themselves a Palestinian authority, rejected it. What we gave you. I watched it. I went, I visited. I was one of the, on one of the last journalist junkets to Gush Katif as they started. Some were packing and some weren't packing. And I saw the greenhouses and the synagogues and the health centers and the beautiful homes and the fields and the beach and the hotels. We gave you schmucks, Gan Aden. And in less than 24 hours, you did what you do so well. You burned it to the ground. You didn't fall to your knees and say, thank you. We who are so unworthy, watch what we will take. You gave us lemonade and we will make champagne. Oh, no. You did what you do. You destroy. Destroy us. You'll never destroy us. Oh, you will cause us pain. We will sit shiver. But we will soar. We will build better than ever. You and your occupation. Independence? You want Palestinian independence? Ad nauseum. You've had this opportunity again and again. Over What? weren't you given what resources are we denying you and at the end of the day when you falter and you fail and you writhe in your own filth which fools will be the first ones to help you I'll tell you who the fools will be my blood brothers my brethren Egypt will step in and help you We've seen what Egypt thinks of you. Jordan? Yeah. We see how far their love stretches towards their brethren. Now, Israel will do what she does again and again. It'll be Israel, foolish, blessed, holy Israel, that will bend over backwards again, tax our own precious resources, stretch injure our economy and do everything within our meager power to emancipate the Palestinian Arabs from what? Your own defective mindsets of self-pity and parasitism. What we will not do for you is disappear. No, we don't want to control you. No one wants for you better than us for you to finally, ultimately, one day 
control your cells. I'm trying to control my language, actually, if you can hear it. We are not. We are not. We have never been the enemy of the sick. That's SIC, although I would like to add a K, but the SIC, Palestinian people, artificial, made up. You want to call yourself Palestinian? Call yourself Palestinian. More self-delusion, more lies. Israel isn't even the enemy. We're not the enemy of Arab people. We're very powerful. If we weren't Jews, what rage, what destruction we could visit upon the world. Arab capitals who swear to push us into the sea. The opposite. If the Arabs had the power, had the ability, had the support system, what you wouldn't do to destroy us. Yeah, once again, once again, believe your filthy narratives, those who are our enemies and those who are just stupid, just ignorant, just fingers in the wind. You want to believe that this is a war of aggression? Oh yeah, it is a war of the aggression. But we, once again, we're not the aggressors. We are always on the side of the defense. Always fix your narrative. And I say to you, screw that narrative that's being forced fed to you on your nightly news. Oh, those poor defenseless Arabs. Who's responsible? Ask yourself. Who is responsible for the situation they find themselves in? No water, no food, no fuel, no resources. Well, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the side that respects human dignity, human rights, celebrates individuality and creativity, and builds, builds, builds for the sake of our children's futures? And they're blessed tomorrows? Or are you going to believe the side that uses their babies as cannon fodder and tools to perpetuate a narrative of eternal suffering that they themselves have created and turned into trillions of dollars of industry? How dumb. Are we, gonna go, are we going to continue to be? There is a side. There's a side to choose. There are sides. Stop believing the lies. Even if it's lonely. Even if it leaves you isolated. Stop believing the lies and stop participating. All people of honor, all people of decency, stop participating in your own destruction, the destruction of everything that is good and moral and healthy and holy. Start now, today, this morning. 
refuse to be a pawn for evil. You were born, you were created for more. It's my belief, and I believe that the Torah teaches this, that you were born for exactly this moment. In an interview, funny, I, I don't really, crazy, I have this show and yet I really don't read that much news. Um, but came across an interview. Um, a wonderful book was written. I, anybody wants to send me a free copy, I, I'd appreciate it. Okay, I'll get it, I'll get it. Uh, Son of Hamas. Son of Hamas, we know, uh, his name is Musab Hassan Youssef. And he is, he was disowned. He is the son, the disowned elder son of the co-founder of Hamas. Um, anyway, he has become a great advocate. I mean, the guy's life is constantly in danger. But what does that mean when you're living for truth? And Mossab Hassan Youssef um, was recently interviewed by British talk, talk show host. You heard a little no talk show host. Talk show host uh, Piers Morgan. I think it was this previous week that he was not at all surprised by the Hamas brutality. And this is the quote, and this is an insider, not a Jew like me who has great hope for our country and a uh, uh, certainly a former, I wouldn't even say I'm a former hippie, I'm probably still a hippie, definitely bohemian in my outlook. But Yosef says it from a place of knowledge, wiping out entire communities, messing with a nuclear power, the most powerful country in the region, a country with a great trauma from the past, with a memory of the Holocaust and all the Nazis did in the past century. They opened the gates of hell on the Palestinian people. Okay? This is what um, um, Yusef has said. So you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe Israel News Talk Radio. You... He says, you know, since its establishment, Hamas has had one goal in mind, which is annihilating the state of Israel. It's not a secret that Hamas wants to destroy the state of Israel. They cannot accept Israel or Israel's right to exist. You know, coming from coming from the mouth from the mouth of babes, it's exactly it's exactly who they are. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe the Israeli press. Don't listen to the Jerusalem Post, Times of Israel, Haaretz, whatever it is that you're listening to. They are telling you. And he says that since his childhood, he's hearing stories of pro, from pro-Palestinian activists, from those who are using what they call the Palestinian cause, that they care the least for Palestinian children and their future. And he says... I am a legitimate representative of the Palestinian children. The child within me speaks. I don't want somebody coming from London or somebody coming from the other side of the world to tell me what the struggle is of the Palestinian children. The Palestinian society has been hijacked by criminals and anybody who takes their side is participating in their crime. That's it. Okay? So you don't have to believe it from me. Believe it. If you are on the side or if you think, you know, but it's really important. The destruction falls on both sides. Yeah. But stop pointing the finger of blame in both directions. We are not responsible. 
And I promise you, the trauma, the trauma of every blessed Israeli soldier that picks up his rifle and fires that gun and saves another innocent Jewish life, he will not be dancing in the street or handing out. He will not be handing out candy at the end of the day. He will be embraced by his people who will love him and hold him and forgive him for what he did for Jewish preservation. <sighs> Came across something, edited, someone really did the work for me. And again, this is not a fun show. Oh, aren't we longing for the, shun the funny shows where I tell you about hanging my underwear on a lamp in your Vatican City and leaving it there to dry? Yeah, we'll get to that another day. Any of you who thinks that maybe we're not seeing the whole picture, there have to be some innocence, in a sense, E-N-T-S, one of the things I have to, I also struggle with a great deal, just working, make sure the volume is good here. Yeah. You know, when people sit and say to me, not all Arabs, not all Arabs are responsible. Not all Arabs were involved in this. Not all Palestinians were guilty. Yeah. I get it. Not blind. I'm Jewish. I know all about it. I created the civil rights movement. I created socialism. I created communes and kibbutzim. I created the ACLU. I created vaccines for mankind. I created the better world. And I also come from a long line of Jewish women who, when their men did not step up to the plate, step up to the challenge that their enemies were imposing upon all of us, Jewish women who locked their bedroom doors and refused relations with their husbands until they did the right thing. Jewish women who sat on the steps of yeshivas, who had no room for their children in the brave new world called America, and when their husbands said, send them to public school, we don't have the money and there's no room, Stories and stories of women who sat outside the open windows with their sons and daughters and let them listen to the lessons until the Rebbies had no choice but to open the doors and let them in. Jewish women who in the time of the Greeks, when their husbands were frightened and said, to perform brisses, will identify our children as Jews and will, will sentence us to death. Women who took the knives and learned how to perform bris milah circumcision because their husbands were too weak. 
So don't tell me about the innocence of Palestinians because certainly the women, the female of the species, has enormous power in her hand, in her grasp. When she learns to put her children first, instead of praying that her child will be a shaheed, a martyr, when that Palestinian, innocent Palestinian slash Arab mother stands up in defiance of the filthy men in their community and finally says, no, no, not my child. Indeed, emulates her Jewish counterparts. Or not. Then I will say to you, yes, there are innocents. We have the power of no. We have the power of defiance. We have the power to stand up against sickness, against filth. I know. I'm Jewish. I come from those people. So don't tell me that there are some innocents because I say to you, while you're talking about the innocents, take a minute and remember Halal, Halal Ariel, a beautiful 14-year-old girl murdered in her bed. Memory go back a little bit more? 2011, the Fogel family. The Fogel family! A father, a mother, three children. What, you didn't see the pictures? You didn't see the blood-soaked sheets and floors and school posters? Massacred with gunfire and knives. 2017, the Solomon family stabbed to death. 2004, Tali Hatuel, four daughters. When she was eight months pregnant, I think they, they ambushed her on the highway. 2018, when a heinous terrorist, a filthy scum of the earth, bound Kim, Kim Yecheskiel with zip ties and killed her. Don't turn off your computer. I'm not done. 2014, 2014, I still have in my Rosh Hashanah and Yom, and, and Yom Kippur Machsor, my, my bookmarks telling me to pray for the three teenagers. 2019. Oh, can I not forget that beautiful face of Ori Ansbacher, 19 years old, sitting not far from our home in Jerusalem in the forest, taking a little break from her Shirut Lumi, her national service job, raped, nearly decapitated. Gruesome enough for you? No, 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 no. In his trial... Do you know what he said? Do you know what her butcher said? Raping and killing a Jew is the most important thing I've ever done in my life. Naches. Is that naches for an Arab parent? Talk to me about the innocence. 2001 in Hebron. The baby shall have it past 10 months old, killed in her crib by a sniper. 2020, Esther Hogan, exercising, going on her power walk. She looked like you. She looked like me. 
Maybe you ate Shabbos dinner in her house. I don't know. Killed with a rock slammed into her head. 2002, terrorists entered a bat mitzvah celebration in Hadera, sprayed gunfire. 2000, two reserve duty soldiers entered Ramallah by mistake. What? You didn't see the pictures? The bloody hands waving their intestines and throwing the body from a window? What exactly are you not getting? Where is your surprise? This week, how about put, putting this in your pipe and smoking it? In England, this week, I have people listening this morning from Britain, Great Britain. A school football team refused to play against a Jewish team. Don't be frightened. Be terrified. It's as simple as that. Oh, let's go through the script. 17, 18, 19 pages. All right. Let's get to a happy note. Happy note. The Sabbath is coming, and I'm going to be davening for you. Yes, continue to pray for us. Pray for our holy soldiers. I had 40-minute conversation with my son the other night, and I listened to him. What kind of a nation is this? We have boys literally fighting for their lives. I don't even know. Maybe, maybe my producer, the engineer, can tell me what our blood count is from the last 24, the last 36 hours. 30, I think we lost 16 holy souls, an additional 16 shivers. Maybe there's more. 15. And my son calls me from the front and he mechazeks me. He strengthens me. He tells me about the enthusiasm and the clarity and the holiness and the achtut, the brotherhood and the correctness of their mission. And nowhere in that conversation are the words, we're going to kill them. We're going to slay them. We're going to butcher them. God forbid. God forbid. It's not in our vocabulary. Yesterday, I went to Ramat Beit Shemesh to visit various grandchildren. And again, the spectrum. We have the, 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 the national religious with their little knitted, knitted kippahs and their, their yarmulkes and their youth groups. And then I was visiting my very Haredi daughter and her nine children. And there were some children playing in the house. And this Haredi daughter, I must tell you, has now made it her mission to visit whenever there's some training nearby. She brings over her Shabbos, she brings over fresh potato kugel for the soldiers. So maybe, you know, what do they say? An army travels on its stomach. In Israel, the army is traveling on a very chubby stomach because it's including my daughter's uh, potato kugel. But anyway, 
there were two boys playing in their house, two little Haredi boys with payas, you know, earlocks and the exposed uh, ritual fringes, their tzitzit. And one of my grandsons, they were brothers, these two friends over the house. And one of my grandsons came over and he, he pulled my sleeve and he said to me in Hebrew, Hebrew, these boys are South African born. And he said to me, you see those boys, those brothers? Their father is a chayal. Their father is a soldier. The pride, the blending, the softening of the edges in what was previously considered to be a very divisive society to blink back the tears in Israel, no matter where you are walking, wherever you are waking up, wherever you are shopping, open your eyes, open your heart, open your belly, you will be, you will be besieged by holiness. The trick is to look at it. Someone sent me a note this week that a teacher in a Haredi school, I love this when they say, Haredi, ultra-Orthodox. I don't know what ultra-Orthodox is. One is either observant or not observant. But we get the picture, okay? We're not going to parse it here on this show today. So a teacher in a Haredi school got a special call this week from a very emotional woman who said, I am not at all Torah observant. I do not observe the mitzvot. I live in Jerusalem, but I must share this story with you. I went into a neighborhood grocery store in Jerusalem to buy milk and bread. Um, and among the products on the shelves, uh, you know, I was looking at them and I see a little boy is looking for something and a very Haredi kid, and I saw a small but noticeable tag on his shirt. I'm a very curious woman by nature, and I continue to ask, you know, what is the boy? I say to him, you know, what's with this tag? And this little boy with a very shy face, and she, she uses the word, he has a special purity, says to her, this is my soldier. What? What do you mean? I asked. And he answers her, this is the soldier I am responsible for, and that he will return home to his mother at the end of the war. So how are you responsible for him, I ask. The boy answers, I pray for him all day long. I study for him. I recite Shema Yisrael in bed for him. And so through the prayers, he will return home. Because he guards me near Gaza, I guard him from Jerusalem. Take that for a moment. All right, we're watching the clock. Man, oh man. So the rainbow reminds us of the validity, as though we need a reminder of the validity of the Torah. You know... These last few weeks, oh my gosh, day 27. Oh, look who's joined us. I love it. Good morning. Good morning to the Sudan. Good morning to the Netherlands. Good morning, Jordan. In the last few weeks, there's been an enormous wake-up call for all of the Jews of the diaspora. And, you know, it's one thing to pray, to advocate, to lose sleep. I'm telling you, the 2 a.m. club over the safety and security of 
all Jews right now. But Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, you know, I'm his new, I'm his, I'm definitely, I'm definitely a new Talmidah, a new student of his. Worry, but don't go crazy over the long term. Pray for Israel because we must always pray for Israel, but we are resilient. Rabbi Goldberg reminds us that we're resilient, we're capable, we're powerful. With God's help, we're going to persevere. The IDF, our blessed holy tzahal, will triumph. But worry. Worry about the Jews of the diaspora. Just as I said. You know, it's Rabbi Sachs who said, um, maybe, maybe 10 years ago at an APEC conference, Rabbi Sachs says, I have to tell you that what we grew up with never again is be beginning to sound like ever again. At the heart of that hostility to Israel, not all criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic, but no mistake that it has happened. Rabbi Sachs reminds us that Judaism is the defeat of probability by the power of possibility. Nowhere will you see the power of possibility more than in the state of Israel today. Israel has taken a barren land and made it bloom again. Israel has taken an ancient language, the language of the Bible, and made it speak again. Israel has taken the West's oldest faith and made it young again. Israel has taken a shattered nation and made it live again. Friends, let us not rest until Israel's light shines throughout the world. The world's great, great, no Rabbi Sachs, greatest symbol of life and hope. Rabbi Goldberg is telling all of us, especially those who are new to this kind of thought, who are beginning to question their own lives. What does it mean to be Jewish? Why am I here? There's no logical reason that world history should allow me to exist today. And so you found the station. You found wonderful websites, Torah-based, accurate. Not versions of Judaism, but Jewish. Now is the time to start praying, to make sure you donate, support. Yes, visit Israel. I got a note this week. I was invited to a bar mitzvah from friends from America who are scheduled to make a bar mitzvah, a simple bar mitzvah here in Israel in November. And what did they do? Because of the situation, they canceled it. You can't get it more backwards. It was exactly the time to make that bar mitzvah, to stand. Not with word, with deed. Vote with your feet. Vote with your checkbooks. Vote with your prayer. Vote with the right synagogue to attend. Enemies are surrounding us, but we're not scared here. We know what we will do. And if the vote is to pull your child out of a Jew-hating university that will not protect him or her, do it. College is overrated anyway, last time I looked. Let's finish. 
let's finish with a quiet, holy Devar Torah. This is the Shabbos of tests, the test of the Akedah, Avraham's 10th and final test. What is he called upon to do? I always had a problem with one. This is my toughest Parsha. This is my Torah, my toughest Torah Parsha. Certainly the hardest one of them all. I mean, it was infinitely easier, for example, for Avraham to sacrifice himself as he was ready to do, walking into the furnace of Nimrod than to sacrifice his own son? What are you talking about, God? You promised me a nation greater than the stars and now you are telling me to take my only progeny and destroy it? You know, in the case of the furnace, we were given no insight into Avraham's emotional state. But the Akedah, we see, we understand the deliberate, the step-by-step planning and eager actions that are indicative of a purely rational individual. The fact that it was performed three days after the commandment was received also shows that a lot of thought went into it. Careful consideration was given to this divine command. You know, had Avraham rushed in, carried it out, what do we say in court, like a crime of passion versus, versus premeditation? If he had rushed to carry it out, we could say that, you know, he was out of his mind. He was so terribly frightened. He was confused. However, this is not the case. He paid scrupulous attention to detail and showed his love and reverence to God. You know, and at the end of this test, at the end of this test, God says to Avraham, now I know that you fear Elohim. This reference to knowledge, to know, is given by many as the reason for that last test of Abraham. As mentioned, as I mentioned before, you know, God knows our inner thoughts and feelings. You know, don't try to be like Yonah hiding in the belly of a whale. You can't. So, again, what was the real purpose and the meaning of this test? So, all of the commentators agree that this test was given not for the benefit of the one giving it. The teacher doesn't need to give a test. They need another night watching television with their spouse. But but it is being given for the testee. As it says in Tehillim, the book of Psalms, actually it's the 11th Psalm if you want to look it up, um, Hashem will test the righteous. So the Sforno offers a simple but an extremely profound explanation of this very point. As we learn in Bereshis, the first book, one of the main reasons for man's existence is to imitate his creator. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. B'Tselem Elohim. So, but in this test, God is not testing Avraham to see whether or not he will sacrifice Yitzchak, but whether he is drawing forth his potential power of faith and trust, which were still latent, and bringing them into reality. By doing this, man is imitating God, who manifests himself through actual deeds and not simply potential. The Sforno is saying that the carrying out of the deed from potential to actuality is a statement, in, is, a, is, a, is a step in elevation, that his image of who we are becomes more godlike.
It transforms God's goal from potential into action. In the famous treatise, The Guide to the Perplexed, the Rambam, something that you should have on your, um, on your shelf in your library, it also sees the Akeda as a test for the benefit of the one being tested. But it stresses that the real purpose is to publicize Avraham's greatness among the nations of the world so that they too would be aware of his righteousness. Remember, we are B'nai Avraham, the children of Abraham. In fact, he explains the word Yadati, I know, as Hodati, I have let known. In other words, God has informed and publicized to all of the nations of the world exactly how great in righteousness, what kind of a tzaddik was Abraham. You know, one of the writings um, follows suit and says, the test of the Akedah was to publicize among the nations how great is the duty. It's an obligation to fear and love God. Sisa'adya Gaon preceded these commentators, referred to the same ideas and said that the words Nisa, Nisa, remember the word Nisa, it's a test that Hashem wishes to demonstrate Avraham's righteousness to mankind. The Ibn Ezra, we've spoken quite frequently on the show about the Ibn Ezra, cites the Sadiqa Owen's explanation, but seems to take issue with the entire concept of the purpose of the test being to publicize the event. What does the uh, Sadiqa Owen say? Sorry, the Ibn Ezra, I, I, I stand corrected. He maintains, was not the Gaon aware that when Avraham was prepared to sacrifice his son, no one was present? Not even his servant. Remember, he sends his servant away. The commentator, Akedat Yitzchak, answers this criticism, holding that since this trial was narrated in the Torah, it is as if the trial took place in the presence of every Jew, past, present, and future. And the Abarbanel agrees with the Akedat Yitzchak and explains that the word Nisa is derived from the word Nes, a sign, because this great action was a sign for all the world to see and like a mighty banner for all the nations of the world to emulate. In our closing today, friends, in our times, in this day, it's extremely unfortunate that there is no one, certainly no one in the arena who deserves the merit of the test on the level of Avraham. But it's important that we realize that even in our own lives, any trials we face can have deep ramifications. We know that these trials, that what we are enduring is not for God's benefit but they're for our own benefit and or for the benefit of those around us. I remind you with joy that no matter how grave or how trivial each test might seem, let us all conduct ourselves as if we were Avraham and remember too that, that not only in the eyes of God, but the eyes of the world are upon us. Shabbat Shalom Umivorach from Jerusalem.